Anyways, it's a really long way to say that what drew me to real estate was the fact that it was simple to understand. It's fulfilling the most basic human need of food, shelter, and water. And it's a hard asset. Uh, it's something that will benefit from inflation. And uh, I feel really good at night by being able to go and like touch it and just see it, you know? Um, that being said, you know, I. What a year 2020 was. 2021 is here, and I hope you're hitting the ground running. I know we are here at Dwelling. We've just got a deal on the contract. We're going to be closing on soon. For those that have joined us on that deal, um, you know what I'm talking about. If you are saying, what am I talking about? Then you need to take your investing game to the next level in this year. So make sure you join the Dwelling deal list, an exclusive deal list. Um, not only do you get access to our deals, quickly but you also get tips and tricks about you know how you can take your, your investing game to the next level this year so if you are not on the dwelling deal list click on the link in the show notes or just go to dwelling.com um, that's d-w-e-l-l-y-n-n.com or just go to investwithola.com and just sign up sign up sign up sign up Thank you so much for joining us on Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Orland Antes. I've got a legend with us today. Hey, Samson, how are you doing, sir? That was a big introduction. Legend. Yeah, um, yeah. That's some, I better live up to it on this podcast. You man. better. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. So obviously, I know a little bit about you. I've read your profile, um, but I think, you know, the, the, the listeners would like to know more about you. So just tell um, folks, who you are, um, what you've been doing, and kind of what you're doing lately, actually. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll start the story because I think that's what's most inspiring to people is I, I'm a grew up a blue collar skater kid in California, didn't come from a family with any money. You know, my dad's been working hard labor since he was about 13 years old. And um, I knew that I never wanted to be in the contracting business. That's what he did. He was a, he's an incredible craftsman you know, pretty much any custom woodworking, he can do it. Um, I just wanted to skate and listen to punk rock music when I was a kid. And uh, when I was about 14 years old, I found football and completely changed my trajectory. I didn't even like football growing up, but something happened when I turned 14 that I just, I think it was like maybe a little bit of testosterone, uh, lifting weights, being strong, probably thinking girls would think it was cool. Um, that's what first drew me to football when I showed up to my first football practice and they said, you look like a linebacker. I didn't even know what a linebacker was. Um, and we did angle tackle drill and I ran downhill as fast as I could. And I hit this kid and just completely depleted him. And the coaches were losing it. And um, I fell in love. I was like, man, I got to do this for as long as possible. So that pretty much for the next 10 years of my life pretty much dictated my path. Um, I went to Western New Mexico University to play football. It was a D2 school. Going into my sophomore season, I knew that I was not loving it, and I wanted to play D1 football. So I walked away from my scholarship and took the walk-on at the University of Colorado, where I had to go earn another scholarship. Thankfully, a year later, I got put back on scholarship. Went to school, studied human physiology, and thought I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, two things happened. Uh, one, playing college football and trying to get uh, a degree, it's tough. So my 
my grades pretty much dictated for me that I wasn't going to be an orthopedic surgeon. At least I wasn't ready to go back to school and like retake some of those classes that I needed to, to get into med school. Uh, but then you just learn more about yourself. You know, I, I always knew athletics and, and training and, and the human body was something that like made sense to me, but I had no examples of entrepreneurs or business people or investors or anything like that. Well, fast forward. Um, I met my, my father-in-law, my wife and I've been together for 16 years, married for 12. And my father, father-in-law never went to college. He, uh, he was uh, a farmer and sold grain. He comes from the Kellogg family, actually like the cereal. And so his great, great grandfather like sold off Kellogg's cornflakes, but they were in, in the corn business and he started hedging his crops by trading futures and commodities and then ended up becoming a commodities broker and did that for about 30 years, 35 years. And uh, when I was getting ready to graduate, I didn't really know what I was going to do. He said, I think you could be a really good broker. You know, you just got to be humble, hungry, smart, gritty, competitive. You can learn how to do investing. I've been doing this for 30 years. And, and most of the time, you're just working on behalf of your customers. So it's not like you have to put out like incredible trading advice. You're just doing what's best for your customer. They need you to call down and get some quotes or do something like that um, for them. So that was um, in 2008 when I graduated. And on Friday, I walked into a futures and commodities brokerage on a Monday. And about three months later, I was a newly crowned broker. And that was uh, September 29th, 2008. And the Dow Jones fell 777 points in a single day, which set off the economic housing crisis. Nice. And uh, I got baptized in the fire for the next two years. Uh, heavy dose of economics and finance and investing and understanding risk, uh, which is a big part of what I use now in real estate investing. It's just mitigating risk and preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. And um, after I got tired of doing that for four years. Basically, that was the same time in the industry when TD Ameritrade, Schwab, um, E-Trade, they all came out with real-time quotes and trading platforms. And, uh, and so as a broker, we used to get $40 to place a trade for somebody. Well, when you can do it yourself, you don't need me anymore. I better add some more value. So we started doing more managed money. We started doing trading systems, which is awesome until you're sleeping with a laptop next to your bed. And uh, waking up at two o'clock in the morning to watch markets like the coffee market open, it really starts to mess with your quality of life. It really started to mess with just my stress levels and my relationship with my wife and just wasn't worth it, no matter how good the money was. So I was actually going to leave and go be a financial planner. And I got approached to join a company called Madwire, which is a marketing and technology company. And I stepped in there and went on a heck of a journey for nine years scaled that company up from 30 employees to just under 600 and a little over a hundred million. And, uh, and then along the way, started building a real estate portfolio, uh, built a couple of businesses, did some consulting and built a, um, a pretty successful strength and conditioning facility here in Northern Colorado. Finally used my degree after uh, yep. <laughs> years of years of not using it. And, um, and I just, I stepped out um, officially last year, but it's been a few years of kind of unwinding because I like to build things. I like to scale companies and lead people. And when you get to a company of 600 people, it starts to become pretty bureaucratic and there's just not as much building to be done. And, uh, and so it was time for me to go, which is great. It was a huge blessing in my life. Um, but here I am today, just 
doing real estate full time and, and really loving it because I get to do things like jump on podcasts and go play golf like I'm doing after this. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I like love the story. I, I think the perspective is, is just crucial, right? Because when people that listen to this podcast, you know, see someone that is doing pretty well, done pretty successfully, it's just hard to have that context of when you started playing football and, you know, the kind of family you came from and kind of what you have to, to do to get to where you are today. I think that's really interesting. And um, it gets lost in, you know, on an Instagram post or, you know, Facebook post like it's just really nice to to have that context so you know thanks for sharing that so let's kind of dive in a little bit you said you did some some real estate so what was your first deal like you know and just kind of how did you find that deal how did you get involved with that deal I'm just kind of curious kind of just going a little bit into the real estate side and we can kind of maybe um zoom out a little bit and kind of go um on the other um, parts of your business yeah so after living through 2008 uh, I really saw both the power and the risk associated with leverage. Uh, you know, I had watched people run their accounts up to a million dollars and back down to 25,000. Um, and the people who consistently made money, my customers were the people that actually owned stuff. They weren't speculating. They were producers. They were cattle, cattle farm or cattle ranchers, pig, pig farmers, pig ranchers, grew corn, grew wheat, produced oil, uh, bought and sold gold, those types of things. Did you say weed? Like the weed? <laughs> no. Wheat. Oh, sorry. Go on. <laughs> but weed is becoming a commodity these days, so. <laughs> very, I'm very interested in wheat, actually, but different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those people consistently made money because they were always using the market to hedge where the people who lost money were doing it uh, to speculate. And so if you look at the sharp ratios, which is basically the relative risk versus reward associated with any given asset class, commodities and futures have the worst sharp ratio because it's only a matter of time before your losses are so big that they wipe out all your gains. Unless of course, you're using it to hedge and you actually own the physical, right? So if I have, I have a bunch of cows that I'm getting ready to sell at the market and I think that the price is going to go lower, well, I can cover myself by selling a futures contract now, right? And if the market drops, that'll offset the loss of what I can sell for my physical product. If I don't have any cows to sell and I sell it and it goes up, I just got my butt kicked like big time. And just for context, a $1 move in the crude oil business and the crude oil contract is $1,000. And so in 2008, that market would swing $10 in a day. So it'd be up $5 to start the day and it would close down negative $5, which is a $10 move. So you can see your account move $10,000 in a day, which is a lot of leverage considering that you only had to put up like, I think at the time it was like $20,000 in margin. So you could start the day like in the green and by the end of the day, you could be on a margin call. So anyways, it's a really long way to say that what drew me to real estate was the fact that it was simple to understand. It's fulfilling the most basic human need of food, shelter, and water. And it's a hard asset. Uh, it's something that will benefit from inflation and 
I feel really good at night by being able to go and like touch it and just see it, you know? Um, that being said, you know, I knew getting into the real estate business that it, it is a business. This isn't like stocks where I can do it very passively and I can just be chilling on a beach. And, you know, that's not how that works. If, if that's what you want and you want all the benefits to go along with real estate, well, then you need to call guys like us and give us your money to put it to work for you. Because we like the throes of the business. We like the dirty stuff and putting the deals together and insurance claims and all of that crap that goes along with it. It's just, it's fun to me, right? Yep. So, um, so we, it was 20, 2008. So the wolves melting down in real estate. Um, my wife and I were trying to buy a house. I was a hundred percent commission. So I couldn't, I couldn't get a loan. Couldn't do any of that stuff. Uh, we were finally able to buy our first house in like 2011, I think. And I had been, you know, voraciously reading and studying, um, on real estate up until that point and just stockpiling cash you know, getting ready to do something. Well, the market has been screaming ever since then. So I started taking equity out of our homes and using that to buy other properties. So the very first deal that I did was, it was a little single family property and um, it had two separate entrances, one that went to the basement that was unfinished and one uh, that was, or two doors that went into the top. And then it had a set of stairs that went down in the middle. And I just knew about a little bit about zoning. So I looked at the zoning on that property and realized that it was zoned BE, which stands for business exempted or something like that. And one of the uses was multifamily. And so we blew out the stairs in the middle of that unit and we put a second unit in the bottom and completely, I think we put about 35 or 40 grand into just completely building. Cause it was just a shell, it was just cement um, and made it awesome. And that property, we still have that property today. Um, it, when it's fully leased up like a full-time long-term rental, it spits out about a thousand bucks a month, which is pretty dang good on a little duplex. Uh, but when we put one of the units on Airbnb, it spits out about two or $3,000 a month. So we have, we have a full-time tenant in the top and we got a, uh, an Airbnb in the bottom. And That's impressive. I don't know if, I don't know if I'll ever sell it <laughs> just cause it's, I like getting the check and it's, it's special to me because it was like, yeah, that was our first deal. And we had a slam dunk on our first deal. That being said, this goes back to the risk associated with being an active operator. Six months after we finished that unit, my brother moved in from California. Well, he didn't, he had never experienced winter like we have in Colorado and he left the hose attached and completely flooded like three feet of water in the basement unit. Um, but thank God for insurance. They're like replaced everything sucked for him because he didn't have renter's insurance. And I let him move in with me and still pay rent, made him, made him pay rent to me. <laughs> because I told, him, I told him he needed renter's insurance and he didn't want to do it. So, um, but yeah, I, that deal to me was special. And uh, I think I had just finished reading the book on rental property investing or something like that. Brian Antona. And Yep. And uh, just the concept of lazy equity, you know, and equity is great, but you can't do anything with it, you know? So taking that out and leveraging it to, to go build more wealth was kind of the key. Yeah. Um, there's, this is very, very um, 
it's hard to swallow for some people, but there's a, there was a saying from, I think it's Kevin McDonough. I don't want to steal it from him. And he says something and he says, equity is vanity. Cash flow is sanity. Now, yes. I'm not, we're not saying equity is bad, but like you said, if your equity is just sitting in your house, like it's just there, like you're not using it. So that's what he's basically talking about. Like equity is vanity, cash flow is sanity. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good, yeah. And, if, yeah. and effectively, you need $100,000 to control about $500,000 worth of real estate. So if you think about that, if you had a $500,000 home and it was completely paid off, you could literally 5x your wealth over the next 10 to 20 years by leveraging that and getting renters in place who are paying down your loan while simultaneously you're getting the cash flow, while simultaneously you're getting the depreciation and the loan pay down. Somebody else is paying that down. And so people just don't think about it that way because they're conditioned to say that like debt is bad. Well, not all debt is bad. There's also a saying that says, isn't it poor people listen to Susie Orman? Middle-class people listen to Dave Ramsey and wealthy people <laughs> listen to Robert Kiyosaki. <laughs> I, I'm glad you didn't say Grant Cardone for the last one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love Grant, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So before we go into the quick rounds, I mean, you're, we're just, we're, we're, I'm really enjoying this, actually. I want to ask you something. So similar to me, you started with, a, you know, this, this duplex, and then you made the transition into larger assets right how did you make that jump and and why actually so having lived through 2008 i was just very aware that every eight to ten years the market corrects and so we had built a pretty good portfolio some things that i didn't think were that well positioned to withstand uh, something bad like a covid crisis let's just put it like that and so I started unloading some of that stuff. This was in 2018. And, and I'm in Northern Colorado. So during 2008, Northern Colorado killed it, actually. It did really, really well during the housing crisis. It was one of the strongest, actually the strongest market in the entire country. But there's this, I'm going to call it arrogance that every real estate investor, every real estate agent has in Northern Colorado, which is like, this market's untouchable, you know, and uh, and I just know I just know that everybody's a genius in a bull market, right? Like when the market's going up, you could effectively close your eyes and like pick something and like ta-da, you know, like you could have bought something in Detroit and effectively won in the last ten years, right? Um, so I started unloading that. I started writing a business plan. I had spent so much time in helping scale up this marketing and technology company that I didn't have the, the bandwidth in my head to like really focus on syndication and building these strategic partnerships that I needed in order to really scale up. But that was starting to loosen up a little bit. And so now was kind of the time to start planning. I was, I was waiting for the next crash to go like full tilt boogie woogie and like, let's go buy some apartment complexes um, because hindsight's 2020. Man, I, if I knew what I knew now in 2008, we probably wouldn't be talking because I'd be like in the Bahamas somewhere on my island. <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't know. So when it happened, I was like, okay, like it's time to go. So I started preparing, you know, planning is important. Right. And so, and I started strategically finding the right partners, the right mentors, the right relationships and building the business. Cause it takes, as you well know, 
it takes a lot of cycles to really build the network, connect with the right brokers, connect with the right debt partners, connect with the right investors or equity partners or JVs that you're going to need to actually execute on a deal. And so I spent, you know, a good year and a half, like really just focused on finding those right people until I felt like the squad was ready to rock. And then no time like the present to just pull the trigger and go, you know? Nice, nice. Well, uh, we could keep going, Samson, but um, we're definitely, definitely dwelling into the quick rounds. These are going to be quick questions, quick answers. You ready, sir? Ready to rock. All right. First question. What makes you something unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? I absolutely love human beings. I get energy by breathing life into other people and seeing other people win and crush it gets me excited, which is, you know, why I love the syndication business is everybody can eat. Um, and I, I would definitely consider myself to be a, a player's coach where I'm always going to put the people on my team first and I want to see them get fed. I'm not just interested in getting fat and happy and like being some super, um, you know, successful, wealthy dude with no friends, you know, I want to, I want to have a bigger, longer table with more people that are all crushing it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Second question. Um, what was the last book that you read? And what was the one thing you picked up from that book? Uh, the last book that I read, like really intentionally was Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I think that uh, every successful person who reads that book can agree that personal accountability is the differentiating factor between successful and unsuccessful people. And I think a lot of um, a lot of the chaos that we're experiencing in our society today could be chalked up to one thing, which is most people do not want to take personal accountability for their actions. Um, and uh, if we just all got a little bit better at taking personal accountability, the world would be a lot better place. Amen. Amen to that. Final question. Um, you've got your businesses. Um, you're doing great. Um, you're busy. What do you do for fun? Well, I told you a little bit earlier that I own a gym. And so I really love the world of strength and conditioning, strength sports. Um, so I spend a lot of time in that world trying to keep my dad bought in check um, yeah nice and I occasionally get out you missed the gun right there <laughs> and I occasionally get out there and uh, play a little golf but man I have a wonderful amazing family uh, an incredible wife who I love very much and two really awesome smart and talented girls who are getting into the things that they're passionate about you know like swimming and gymnastics and soccer and so I spend a lot of time just living vicariously through them and just loving watching them do what God put them here to do. 100%. How old are your kids? How old are your girls? I got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And my, my nine-year-old is turning out to be a really good swimmer like her mom was. And she just got moved up to the swim team as a nine-year-old. So she's going to be like doing some competitive swimming. and. Nice. She's not nervous. She's pretty excited about it, which gets me excited. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I got two girls as well, one and four years old. So I can 
quasi relate. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Yo, you're in the thick it. of it right now. Yeah, I am. I sure am. <laughs> well, so I'm sitting there, somebody listening and thinking, well, I really like this guy. I want to connect with him. What's the best place people can reach out and get to know you more? If you want to check out what I'm up to on social media, I hang out on Instagram. So it's just samson.jagoras. And uh, I'm sure I'll put that in the in the notes. And then uh, if you want to see more with, with what we're up to on the real estate side, you can head over to The Growth View. That's thegrowthvue.com. Samson, appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. Talk soon. You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. Joe talks to influential thought leaders who share their best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.